Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome back. Today I'm joined by Professor Felicia Moore-Mensah from Teachers College in Columbia University, New York City. Felicia works in the area of science education and teacher preparation and over the past few years has begun to apply ideas from critical race theory and racial literacy towards rethinking how best to prepare science educators for modern day multicultural schools and classrooms. This is work that's clearly crucial to rethinking what science education is for the 21st century, but these are not easy times to be doing such work. So given the recent horror stories that we've been hearing about US education and the divisive politics around education in the States, I started by asking Felicia what it's like to be an education researcher in the US at the present time. Well, it depends on where you are in the United States. I am very fortunate and blessed to be in a state and in an institution where I don't have as many of the challenges as some of my colleagues do in the southern states and probably some of our midwestern states. But I have colleagues who are bound by the laws where they can't say certain things or cannot do research related to critical theories or critical race theory and things of that sort. So those are the things that are keeping me a little bit more um, trying to be more supportive of my colleagues and and also for my research to say, oh, it's going to be even more impactful for me to be able to do the things that I'm that I'm trying to do and the things that I want to do related to the critical theory, critical race theory and the challenges around uh, racism and race and privilege and power. Yeah. So I guess you're right. It brings back the importance of the research that we can do. But I mean, how are folk working around it? Are people resisting? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, I think some people may be resisting. Some people have decided that they are not going to be in education and do educational research anymore. So I have colleagues who are taking some early retirement other colleagues who are deciding that they are going to try to do other kinds of things that are not even going to be in education. So it's very unfortunate that we're going to be losing some really great minds related to that. We're not going to be in higher education anymore. Which is just a terrible, terrible state of affairs. So, I mean, let's shift gears a little and, and focus on your own work. And first, I mean, a lot of your work makes really good conceptual use of critical race theory. And there's growing interest, I think, in in bringing ideas around CRT into education research in general. So, I mean, in your own experience, what what has CRT added to your own research focus and thinking around teacher education and what goes on in teaching? Well, you know, Neil, I came to CRT, so critical race theory, mm, fairly recent, maybe. I would say, uh, you know, science education was not an area that had taken up critical race theory. And I want to be part of that conversation. So I did a lot of work around reading about what is it. So I read a lot of the early work around what is critical race theory, where it came from, and uh, reading intersectionality and Kimberly Crenshaw's work to just get a really good understanding about what it is and then how it applied to science education because we were not talking about it in the area. And so for me, it became important to think about the context of science education, the context of teacher education, and what it looked like to think about race being endemic and what does it look like when we think about it in the context of content area. 
you know, I took up the idea of whiteness as property. That was one of the things I wrote about in my work because I saw that being very evident when I put applications to it in science education. Um, and thinking about the voices, um, it, it talks about one particular tenant of being unique voices of color and counter storytelling. You know, I, I thought about that and also within science education. So there are lots of different tenets related to critical race theory that as I started to read more and more about it, it just seemed to really speak to me. It showed up a lot in science teacher education for me. And, and how has your use of it been picked up in science education? What's the reception been of your peers? You know, I think my peers have been receptive of it. I think more so with younger scholars. Um, you know, some of the younger scholars that I have also been privileged to be able to mentor and be able to talk to. So a lot of younger black scholars and I think the reception of it is being able to see, because in my work, I try to write, I don't know if it's try, but I write, so that I'm being very explanatory and making those really direct connections between the theory and the practice and the the application of what it looks like. And so I think people are able to see, and it has been receptive in that particular way, again, as I said, with young scholars around what it looks like. And so I have seen more scholars take it up and to be able to have conversations around the application and the use of it in science education. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, let's talk about how you say some of these ideas have played out in the specific area of science education. You mentioned your 2018 Teachers College record paper on whiteness as property in science teacher education. I mean, you could argue, well, you should argue that whiteness is a feature of nearly all aspects of education and teacher education. So how does whiteness specifically manifest in science teacher education? Yeah. So, you know, that 2018 piece was really my first application, if I can, you know, keep saying that, of looking at critical race theory and science teacher education. And so whiteness of property, when I read that, it spoke to me very directly with my experiences in science education and this idea that that science was only for certain people and that science was for white males, particularly this idea that was actually spoken about often in, in the application of it and that uh, only certain people, white men in particular, had had this kind of like ownership towards science and that at the same time that it was seen as not open to Black women like me and <laughs> some of the challenges that I had as a Black woman scientist and then saw that direct connection to the teachers that I was working with, some of my Black female science um, teachers that I was preparing and just saw that really direct connection between that. And so this idea of whiteness as property in science teacher education was, was for my, as, an, as, a, as a teacher educator, being able to open up that boundary for them that they had access to it, that they, they can look at science as, an, as enjoyment and fulfillment to be able to engage in science. And so that was really what that paper was, was an opening for them as a science teacher educator. And so that connection to me was with that first application of being able to take one of those tenets of critical race theory to make application in science education. So a really interesting use of CRT is this idea of counter storytelling and narrative and the focus on, on kind of getting people to talk about their own standpoint and their own views and experiences. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, as I was, um, making these applications and the importance of critical race theory. So when I said that was my first paper, it's like, as I continue to read and to learn about critical race theory, you know, my second one was finding voice and passion. So I use critical race theory as methodology in science teacher education with this particular paper. And I followed the trajectory of one pre-service teacher over a course of um, 
four years, I think it was. Um, and this was also related to science teacher education. So it was her experiences uh, in a science teacher education education program. Then following her, you know, using racial narrative and counter storytelling, uh, following her through her teacher education program, and then in, into her first years of teaching. And then being able to look at counter storytelling, like listening to her stories, listening to her reveal her stories of her experiences in teacher education. And then for me, too, like a lot of her stories and narratives that she told was stories and narratives that I had as a student in teacher education. But then in that role as a teacher educator, how did I open up opportunities for her to go through her program so that she would not have the experiences that she had, um, or should I say that I did not have? How did she have experiences that were much more positive and supportive? So how do we think about teacher education programs open up possibilities for Black teachers? or Black pre-service teachers to have that connection to the first study, you know, being able to have science as white property for them. And so, um, you know, again, I I just see such really good application of these theories for very practical and also for methodological application when we do it for research purposes. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about this idea of kind of opening up possibility for change. And I, I guess all of this work leads to the question of how we do change things. And one push across North America and Australia and all around the world is this idea of decolonization. And you've written a lot about decolonization and science and STEM in particular. I'm really interested in terms of how we actually practically begin to think about something like decolonization and STEM and science. I mean, could you expand a little on your writing and arguments around this? You know, one of the things that uh, around decolonization has been some work that I've done with one of my former doctoral students so she is a physicist and uh, kind of my Reed's work and looking at Brazilian, uh, looking at the work there in Brazil. But she was interested in looking at physics teachers, looking at physicists, black women physicists. And that was her, that was her dissertation work. And so this idea around decolonization and approaches in STEM education to me is is practical. You know, it's always concerned about how can we add to the curriculum? And what we want to do is to add to the curriculum what's going to require teachers and teacher educators to do more research to be able to expand our knowledge and our understanding of what STEM education is. So it's going to require going back, looking at history, going back and looking at how can we think about the study of STEM education in kind of in its interdisciplinary approaches. And so I think for decolonization, so it was this idea that we were taking things away in terms of um, African knowledge and customs uh, and history that was taken away when we were taken from. And so this time, so when we think about decolonization, to me, it's about how do we bring these these ideas back? And so what does it look like when we start to think about the history of Africa or the histories of other countries or indigenous knowledges that are bringing, being brought back into the curriculum for teachers to be inclusive, for students to learn about their cultures and their histories and the knowledges that we're taking away. So it's a very limited curriculum that we're often teaching in STEM classrooms and we're teaching that um, students don't know themselves. Yeah, so as you say, it's adding to the richness of science and STEM education, not taking stuff away. That's a really important point to make. Uh, One of your research foci, I mean, a lot of the studies that you do are actually trying to see how efforts to change things in science and and teacher education are actually taking root. Particularly, 
looking at the, the the effectiveness of efforts to foster, say, multicultural science education or, or racial consciousness or racial literacy. And you're interested in how these impact on teacher beliefs and teacher attitudes and teacher perceptions. I'm really interested in how you research this and how you kind of get around the limitations of, you know, self-report methods. I guess asking a teacher what they think and believe or act is very different to what a teacher might think or believe or act. I mean, a teacher's not going to tick a box saying I'm unconsciously racist. So how can you meaningfully investigate perceptions and belief around something like race? Uh, you know, I think the idea when you just said like um, self-report, in my recent work, I'm finding self-report to be extremely important. Really? And so I don't know if there's actual limitations in self-report methods. Um, and I'm and, and trying to question even a little bit more around this idea of what self-report means. And I'm seeing it just a little bit differently. And I'm wondering if, it, if it's because of my critical race theory lens or even my Black feminist framework is allowing me to see and giving me permission to see this very differently. So not necessarily being a limitation, but because maybe it's more of a value. And I say this because I'm having my students to do a lot more critical reflection, that they're doing more of writing and journaling. And so that really is not really self-report, but it's their critical thinking. It's their, it is their beliefs. It is what they're thinking. And so if they're writing these things down, it's really their thoughts and their reactions and their feelings and their emotions. And then as a researcher, you know, I have to look at it and try to analyze, you know, what, what do they feel? What do they think? You know, that's a very different way of looking at these ideas around self-report, but I'm giving them space to be able to write their thoughts and their feelings. And so to me, that is kind of like the idea of that counter story that comes out of critical race theory or Black feminist thought is, is the ideas of their writing from their experimental knowledge and their understandings of the world. Part of the process that I'm having my students to go through in writing is that they go back and reread what they wrote and they're able to see what did I write in the beginning of a semester? And over time, how are they thinking? So they're actually doing another self-analysis of their thinking and their writing over time. No, that's a, that's a really, really powerful point, getting people to kind of revisit what they've said and what they've reported in this idea of self. And yeah, something like autoethnography, for example, is, is very rich self-report. So, I mean, there are all sorts of ways of getting into it. Now, finally, I'm, I'm getting away slightly from the, this main focus of your work. I'm quite interested in, it's not necessarily a side hustle, but you're a kind of academic writing guru. Your book, Demystifying the Academic Writing and Publishing Process, uh, you know, has, has taken off. And I'm just fascinated in writing tips. So first, I wanted to ask you about the serious stuff in the book. I mean, you talk about these four scholar actions for productivity. And some of these, I think, are obvious, you know, prioritize your writing, set goals and deadlines. But one of the things you talk about is the need for academics to develop their process. Now, a lot of people might not reflect on their process or actually be stuck in a rut. I mean, what do you mean by process and how do we find our best process? Yeah. So when I talk about finding your process and developing your process, it really has to do with a focus on yourself. And, I, you know, I think when you start off as an early scholar, as early writer, you want to be... Uh, you want maybe when you want to write like somebody else that you know who's a really great writer and you can't really do that you know you want to be able to find your voice you want to be able to find your particular process and I tell early writers other scholars like the only way you're going to find your real process and your voice is that you're going to have to write and so it might have to be that you, write, you like to write in the middle of the day or you have to write at the end of a day or you might have to write 
in, in long periods of time, whatever your particular process is, is that you get your process and you're going to hone in on your particular process. And then I also tell people that, you know, don't really try to, to try to develop um, the perfect kind of academic language. Like we don't, we're not born with academic language spewing out of our mouths. We develop it. So you can develop your process of writing. So it is something that you, that you can work on and you can develop for yourself, but you don't want to Put too much pressure on yourself and thinking that you have to write this perfect academic paper all the time. Give yourself some time to be able to develop it. So it's going to become a process. It's going to be something that you're going to work at. Don't try to write like somebody else that you know, develop your process. <laughs> uh, but the final thing that you tell everybody to do in the book is celebrate. Now, I know some academics are not very good at this. I mean, what are the benefits of taking a moment to acknowledge what you've done? And how do you do this? How do you celebrate? Oh, my goodness. You have to celebrate. <laughs> you have to celebrate. And it doesn't have to be anything, you know, big or monetary, but it can just be a congratulation that you, you that you you that you're able to get something accomplished. And so telling somebody that you got something accomplished, tell somebody you were working on a paper and you finished it. Tell people what you were able to do. Uh, keep a uh, keep a journal. I like to journal, write down things. And so write down the things that you were able to accomplish. If you read a journal article, celebrate that, you know, um, give yourself a star, uh, you know, just small things. But, you know, accomplishing things in our very, very busy lives matters. Um, nobody else, <laughs> nobody else is probably going to know that you did anything, but you know, you did something. So celebrate these small things, these small accomplishments, because these are going to be small stepping stones to those greater accomplishments that you're able to make. So celebrate. I believe in the celebration. <laughs> no, that's, that's fantastic advice. We're far too hard on ourselves as academics. Um, that, that's a really good note to end on. So thanks ever so much, Felicia, for taking the time. It's super interesting to pick up on your research. Enjoy your time in Australia, and I hope we'll see you back face-to-face -face very soon. Thank you for having me, Neil. Thank you.